Get ready, America. This is Declaring Liberty. Hello, my friends. I am Mark Pantano, and this is Declaring Liberty. You know, one of the things I want to do on this show is really dig deep and examine exactly what the left has become. You know, when we discuss politics on a day-to-day basis, when we discuss what's in the news, we can, to use a cliché, lose the forest for the trees. We can lose sight of the big picture as we focus on all these little individual things, whatever it is we're arguing about that day, whatever shiny object the media has us all chasing around. But what I want to do is really put into context exactly what the left has become. And it is a very scary proposition when you really understand who they are, how they have taken over the Democrat Party, and what really that would mean for this country if they were ever able to fully implement the things that they talk about. And the things that they don't talk about, which they would do if they could. And one of the things that motivates a lot of what we see on the left is a deep-seated hatred for this country. There's just no arguing about it. There's really no debate. This is who they are. And one of the primary reasons that we have gotten to this point in the country where an entire political party, one of the two major political parties, and really the largest political party in the country by affiliation, the Democrat Party, is a party motivated by hatred for, among other things, this country. And where it comes from, in large part, is the education system. We have completely lost control of our education system. For decades, it has been controlled by the left. They have used the institutions of education, both our public primary schools, our secondary schools, our colleges and universities. They've used them to push a left-wing political agenda more than they have used it as a vehicle for education. Education is no longer the primary function of these institutions. Political indoctrination is. There is a, a story that I came across this morning from California. Just a small story. We've seen stories like this before, but they're indicative. And in this case, the Board of Trustees for Santa Barbara City College, it's a community college in California, has decided to just get rid of the Pledge of Allegiance before their meetings. They're just not going to say the Pledge of Allegiance anymore. We've seen this before. This is not the first time, and it won't be the last time. Here's uh, from an article by Campus Reform. It begins this way. The Santa Barbara City College Board of Trustees president says the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag is, quote, steeped in expressions of nativism and white nationalism, unquote. 
In emails obtained exclusively by Campus Reform, the president of the SBCC Board of Trustees, Robert Miller, stated that he decided to discontinue use of the Pledge of Allegiance at board meetings because of its history. Quote, I decided to discontinue use of the Pledge of Allegiance for reasons related to its history and symbolism. I have discovered that the Pledge of Allegiance has a history steeped in expressions of nativism and white nationalism. Does this sound familiar? I mean, we hear this sort of thing out of pretty much all Democrats now. This is just cliche. It's sick and it's twisted and it's fundamentally un-American. But it's cliche at this point. This is all these people say. This is all we hear from them. Nativism, nationalism, racism, America sucks. You know, I watched clips of Kamala Harris's little announcement the other day that she was running for president. I didn't listen to the whole thing. I frankly wouldn't be able to take it. But I saw some clips. And this is exactly what she was saying. A woman running to be president of the United States. And all I heard out of her is how much she hates the country she wants to lead. I mean, if you were just listening to this woman, if you came here from another country so you don't have a dog in the fight, you're not a Democrat, you're not a Republican, you don't care about our domestic politics, you were just from another country visiting, you put on the TV, and you hear this presidential candidate, and you just, you just listen to them, you would think, my God, this woman hates the country. And then if you were to believe everything that she was saying about the country, you would come to the conclusion that America is a pretty nasty, vicious, horrible place to live. Just full of racists. You know, just full of roving bands of white nationalists roaming the countryside looking for brown people and black people and persons of color and transgenders and whatever other group you want to pretend is a victim in this country. Just looking for groups of those people to oppress. It is the picture that Kamala Harris and that really all Democrats now paint of this country is just one that I don't recognize because that is not America. That is not this country. I never come across the people that I hear described all the time. From what these people say, you would think that most of America is racist, you know, just horrible human beings. These people don't exist by and large. There's certainly not a majority. I'm sure there are pockets of crazy people here and there. You got your occasional racist and white nationalist and neo-Nazi and all this. But that, that's not the American people. That's, that's not by any means anywhere close to who we are. But yet, listening to these people, we're just teeming with racists. So back to this article. This, this uh, Robert Miller guy, head of the uh, board of trustees at the Santa Barbara City College. So he hates the Pledge of Allegiance. He hates what it stands for, all the racism and the white nationalism and all this garbage. He also says, um, 
Back to the article. In addition to these reasons, Miller stated that he'd rather pledge his allegiance to the Constitution instead of a physical object. Oh, really? He wants to pledge his allegiance to the Constitution. Because last I checked, everyone on the left also hates the Constitution. They have to hate the Constitution. Because in truth, the Constitution does not permit most of what the left wants to do. Which is why the courts have basically nullified many parts of the Constitution. Oh yes, the Constitution still says what it says. We haven't repealed all these things. But we really don't follow them anymore. They really have no practical meaning anymore. And that's due in large part to the Supreme Court completely nullifying large sections of the Constitution, reinterpreting them right out of existence. Either they're completely ignored altogether, or the Supreme Court just interprets the plain meaning of different provisions of the Constitution and reinterprets them to say something they do not say. Essentially amending the Constitution by judicial opinion. That's what has happened over a long course of our history. It's been going on at least a hundred years. The progressives have been attacking the Constitution. Oh, but no, this guy who hates the Pledge of Allegiance, who obviously hates the country because we're just a bunch of racists, he wants to pledge his allegiance to the Constitution. Which parts of the Constitution do you want to pledge your allegiance to? The First Amendment? Mr. Robert Miller? Is it the First Amendment that you like? Because you people on college campuses are constantly attacking the First Amendment. Whether it's with these speech codes that almost every college and university has. They have speech codes. Without getting into the specifics of any particular speech code, which, you know, that might be a good idea. I need to go and get one of these speech codes from a college or university and we'll read it. We'll go through it and see what exactly these speech codes prohibit. You will be amazed when you read some of this stuff. But just beyond the specifics of any individual speech code at whatever college or university you want to look at, just the idea of a speech code existing in the United States of America. How is that compatible with the First Amendment, Mr. Miller? Mr. Miller, who wants to pledge his allegiance to the Constitution, yet works in a profession that has speech codes? I guarantee you Santa Barbara City College has a speech code. And I guarantee you that if you say something that the administrators at Santa Barbara City College deem to be quote-unquote hate speech, you're going to get disciplined in some manner under this speech code. Oh, but he, he supports it and he wants to pledge his allegiance to the First Amendment. These colleges and universities where conservative speakers are not allowed How many times have we seen where conservative speakers have either been disinvited or flatly rejected from coming onto campus? And they always always pretend that it's about security or some garbage. Meanwhile, leftist speakers practically live on college campuses and conservatives can't buy their way on to give a speech. Oh no, but Mr. Miller wants to pledge his allegiance to the Constitution. What other parts of the Constitution? How about the Second Amendment? You're going to pledge your allegiance to the Second Amendment, Mr. Miller? I have a sneaking suspicion that you aren't too fond of the Second Amendment. 
Do uh, students have the right to carry concealed firearms onto campus to protect themselves? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that they don't, do they, Mr. Miller? Oh, no, no, no. But you support and you pledge your allegiance to the Constitution, right? Well, the Constitution gives every individual in this country the right to keep and bear arms. And that right shall not be infringed, as the plain meaning of the Second Amendment says. The plain language of the Second Amendment. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. But you can't keep and bear arms on a public campus at the Santa Barbara City College, can you? No. And I don't seem to recall any sort of limiting language in the Second Amendment. It doesn't say the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed unless they are on the campus of Santa Barbara City College in California. I don't recall that being in there. And what about all the money from the federal government that the Santa Barbara City College no doubt receives? Where in the Constitution does it empower the federal government to set up a Department of Education and redistribute money to colleges and universities? It doesn't. So much of what our federal government does is completely unconstitutional. But so much of it has either not been challenged in court as being unconstitutional, or it has all been just rubber-stamped by the courts. But there is absolutely nothing in the Constitution which empowers the federal government to get involved in education at any level. But our federal government is involved in education at every level. And nearly every single college and university including private colleges and universities, take tons of federal taxpayer money. And that's how the federal government is able to dictate all these policy things that colleges and universities must comply with. It's with the money. That's how, that's how they do a lot of stuff. They offer money with strings attached. You take the money, you now are existing at the behest of the federal government. And I can guarantee you that Santa Barbara City College takes a whole lot of money from the federal government. Money that is completely unauthorized by the Constitution. It's unconstitutional. But Mr. Robert Miller is all too happy to take that money, isn't he? And you know what else taking that federal money requires colleges and universities to do? Comply with Title IX. Title IX is this horrendous law which has led to basically a war on men being waged in our colleges and universities. You know, when it was originally passed in, I believe, the 70s. It was just basically a one-sentence law with admittedly a good purpose at the time, and that was to prohibit the discrimination um, basically against women on college campuses. And basically the law says that any institution of education receiving federal taxpayer money may not discriminate on the basis of sex. That's almost word for word what it says. I don't have it in front of me, but that's almost verbatim what it says. Now that one sentence law with good intentions at the time has been expanded, not by law, but by regulation and just dictates 
from bureaucrats inside the Department of Education been expanded to such a ridiculous degree that now there are the, the federal government is dictating to every college and university in the country exactly how they are supposed to handle and adjudicate allegations of sexual misconduct, sexual discrimination, and those concepts are so broad that pretty much anything falls under it. So if some woman on a college campus doesn't like a look that a male student gives her, maybe she's at the salad bar in the dining commons and there's some guy over at the table in the corner and he's just kind of checking her out because, you know, she's hot or whatever. And uh, little Miss Salad Bar isn't too into Mr. Guy in the corner, so she's offended that he would look at her leeringly like that so she's going to march right over to the uh, office of we hate white men on campus whatever they happen to call it at that particular college and university the office of diversity and inclusion or whatever ridiculous orwellian sounding title they've given this particular office she goes over there and makes a complaint and now all of a sudden the federal government is involved and a whole bunch of rules and regulations written by some left-wing radical you've never heard of bureaucrat in the Department of Education under the Obama administration wrote all these rules and the college is forced to comply with them. Suddenly this woman is this victim deserving of all kinds of protections and services and the guy is all but guilty until proven innocent. He's dragged in front of a disciplinary board and forced to explain himself, but he doesn't even have the right to face his accuser. There's no cross-examination. And if he is found guilty of leering at this woman, lustfully, or whatever, he can be found guilty of sexual misconduct. Because sexual misconduct is so broadly defined that it pretty much encompasses anything. And looking at someone when that person doesn't want you to look at them and says it makes me feel intimidated, that's good enough on a college campus. And you could be disciplined. And guess what? It goes into your permanent record. You have a state institution with a permanent record on file saying that you've been adjudicated guilty of sexual misconduct. That's all it says. And that could come back to haunt you 30 years later. Someone, you're applying for some job somewhere. Maybe you want a job with the uh, federal government. You need a security clearance or something. They go and get your records from when you were college, and they see that they, you were found guilty of sexual misconduct. This is the kind of thing that goes on. And I'm not making this stuff up. But Mr. Robert Miller, who hates the Constitution, well, no, he says he loves the Constitution. He wants to pledge his allegiance to the Constitution. He hates America. But he's Mr. Constitution, and he's perfectly fine with this kind of thing. Perfectly fine with it. Now, I didn't mean to be going off on a tangent on uh, Title IX, and we're going to get a lot more into Title IX because, really, most people have absolutely no idea what's going on on our college and university campuses. And the outrage and abuse that is happening under Title IX would 
make your head spin. So we're going to cover that a lot more. Thankfully, a lot of those rules have been scrapped, and there are now interim rules in place, um, put into place by Betsy DeVos, who got rid of a lot of this Obama stuff. And you know the thing, one more thing about, about the Title IX stuff. A lot of these rules and regulations, they aren't even regulations. They didn't go through a regulations process. They are just, all of this stuff is compelled pursuant to a letter. Nothing more than a letter written by a bureaucrat called a Dear Colleague Letter. And it basically just threatened college and universities from the Obama administration and said, hey, we want you to do all of this stuff. Yeah, it's not a regulation. You're not required to do all this stuff. But if you don't do this stuff, we're going to investigate you. And you are going to be under official Department of Education investigation, and everyone in the country is going to know it. Your college is going to be on a spotlight, and we're going to openly accuse you of uh, violating the rights of students and discriminating against women and blah, blah, blah. So all these colleges and universities were scared into compliance. Not that most of them needed to be scared into compliance, because most of them, if truth be told, are all on board with this nonsense. In fact, you would think, right, that when Betsy DeVos announced that that dear colleague letter was scrapped. They know that college and, colleges and universities no longer had to follow with it, follow it or comply with it. That these colleges and universities would be happy, right? They no longer have to go along with all these ridiculous rules and regulations. No, you would be wrong. Most of them were up in arms. They were outraged. How dare you not tell us what to do? Because you see... These colleges are run by rabid anti-male types. All the stuff that you hear out of politicians and leftists today about their railing against the patriarchy and toxic masculinity and all this nonsense, this comes out of the colleges and universities. These people are full on board with it. So they are happy to get cover Basically, what, what these regulations did, forcing them to basically discriminate against men, they like it because they want to be discriminating against men anyway. But now they have cover from the federal government. You know, they can say, well, we don't want to do this, but this, the federal government is telling us. Well, now the federal government isn't telling you to do that. And so they're upset about it because they want to do it. And they're going to do it anyway, and they continue to. But we're going to talk a lot more about Title IX because uh, we haven't seen the last of the fight over that. And uh, like I said, the stuff that goes on under Title IX would make your head spin. But I want to get back to this college in California. You know, when, I, when, I, when you hear this, a lot of you will think, eh, that's just like, it's California. What do you expect? That, that doesn't happen here in Texas. Or that doesn't happen here in Mississippi. Well, you would be wrong. Because it does. And this kind of thing, maybe not this particular thing, but things like this, this left-wing bias, this anti-conservatism, this anti-male stuff, this, you know, anti-quote-unquote toxic masculinity stuff, all the socialism, all the hate America stuff, all the transgender pushing stuff, all this insanity. This happens at virtually every college and university campus. And it doesn't matter where 
it's located. So just because you live in Montana or Texas or Kansas or some other red state, don't think for a minute that this is not happening at your local college because it is or it probably is. Chances are, 95% chance it is. There's only a handful of colleges and universities where this is not happening. And you could probably count them on one hand. And by and large, these are private institutions that have refused to take federal money and therefore haven't gone along with all this stuff. And they already have a mindset that they are pro-freedom, pro-constitutional, pro-constitution, pro-equal rights. Places like Hillsdale College. And so they go out of their way to only employ those kinds of people that will fit in with that culture. But really, you can count these institutions on one hand. This is a profession-wide thing. You got to understand that your local college or university exists within the overall higher education profession. They're not just populated by people who are from your area. The professors don't all come from your area. In, pro in fact, most of them, I guarantee, come from outside your area. So you may be in Mississippi, in the deepest red part of Mississippi, and you have a college there. Most of those college professors are from elsewhere. And they were indoctrinated in whatever colleges or universities they went to in undergrad and then getting their doctorate or whatever. And they come out full-fledged Marxists. And then they get hired at your local college there in Mississippi and they bring their full-fledged Marxism and their hatred for America and all that. Same thing with the administrators. There's really two sides of the house, so to speak, in a college and university campus. You have the academic side, the professors and the academic deans and things like that. Then you have the administrators. You know, the dean of students, the residential life people, all of this stuff. Those are the administrators. And they are just as, if not more left-wing than the academic side of the house. And most people aren't aware of that, but it's a serious, it, it's, it's true. It's absolutely true and it's a serious problem because much of the way the indoctrination on campus happens is not just in the classroom. It's in the residential living setting. Commuter students and online students aren't nearly as susceptible to the indoctrination as your typical four-year residential college student is because those students are immersed in it. It's a culture that they never leave. They come onto campus and everything happens within that left-wing culture. They go to, you know, they eat within the left-wing culture at the dining hall. They recreate at the sports center, at the gym, at whatever. It's all within that left-wing bubble and they are constantly being exposed to the propaganda in all facets of that experience in the residence halls believe it or not in the dining halls in the rec sports facilities and all this kind of stuff they're getting bombarded with it 24 hours a day it's like a full immersion experience like the best way to learn a foreign language right is to go and immerse yourself in that culture and learn the language being subjected to only that language and you'll be forced to learn it. That's how it works on a college campus the way these kids in four-year residential institutions are indoctrinated. So 
that's all I'm going to say about that for now. I have a lot more to say because one of our major problems going forward and one of the major reasons we're in this problem to begin with is our colleges and universities and our education system overall. And so we're going to spend a lot of time on that. But that's all I've got to say about that for right now. Ah, the sound of freedom. Love it. Okay, that's a good segue, actually, to this next story I wanted to talk about. You know the left's coming after your guns, right? Obviously, you know that. And we're going to have a real battle on our hands because uh, they're never satisfied. The left is never satisfied, no matter what they say, because they always tell us, well, we just need common sense gun control. Of course, they never define what common sense is, and they're always moving the goalposts on what common sense is. So say whatever, you know, they say they want common sense. The common sense uh, gun control that they want now is banning quote-unquote assault weapons. I can't stand using that term, but that's the term that is always kicked around. So whatever. They want to ban assault weapons. And then, then they'll be happy. Then they'll be satisfied. Assault weapons are the problem. If we just get rid of them, then there won't be any problem and Democrats won't have any more objection to our keeping and bearing arms. Well, a couple of things. One, that's ridiculous. Um, quote, unquote, assault weapons. If we're going to measure the problem by how many people are murdered or injured by the criminal use of firearms, then assault weapons are very low on the list of most used firearms for that purpose. Handguns, far and away, are used in most of the crimes. But they're not going after handguns, are they? Well, not yet, but they will get around to it. First, assault weapons. And see, that's the point. It doesn't matter whether or not their common sense gun control makes any sense at all. Like in the case of assault weapons it doesn't make any sense if you're really if you're really concerned about the number of people being hurt or murdered by criminal use of firearms then you're going to go after the most used uh, firearm for that purpose and that's handguns but you're not going after that you're going for what you think you can scare the public into not liking you know these scary looking assault weapons so we'll go after that so right now it's assault weapons so when they get rid of assault weapons, are they suddenly going to be satisfied? Of course not. Then they move on to whatever they want to polarize and demonize and go and destroy next. Maybe it's handguns. Maybe it's all semi-automatic rifles. Well, whatever. They're eventually, if they get their way, going to get around to banning all firearms. They will never be satisfied on that issue until they ban all firearms. And if you don't understand that, then you don't understand the left. Thankfully, some people are pushing back, uh, and I want to highlight one of those examples. This comes out of Washington State. You know, Washington State has recently passed a whole bunch of you know, ridiculous gun control measures, and some of the rural county sheriffs are having none of it. They think it violates the Constitution, and they're not going to, or at least they say, they're not going to enforce these new rules, uh, these new laws. And here's an article from uh, The Guardian uh, from January 26th. In Washington State, a freshly implemented ballot initiative 
And see, this isn't just, you know, just a, a law passed by the, their legislature. This is a ballot initiative. So the idiot left-wing sheep in the state of Washington enacted this. Anyway, a freshly implemented ballot initiative and a raft of new bills may produce some of the tightest firearms regulations in the U.S. But standing in the way is a group of rural law enforcement officers who say point-blank that they won't enforce any of it. The Clickitat, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, the Clickitat County Sheriff Bob Songer is one of them. He told The Guardian that the initiative passed last November is unconstitutional on several grounds. Quote, I've taken the position that as an elected official, I'm not going to enforce that law. Good for him. Songer also cited ongoing litigation by the NRA gun industry lobby and uh, others which aim to demonstrate that the laws violate both the Second Amendment and the state's constitution. He also said that if other agencies attempted to seize weapons from county residents under the auspices of the new laws, he would consider preventively standing in their doorway. Now that, my friends, is an American patriot. Not only will he refuse to enforce these new anti-Constitution, anti-Second Amendment laws, but he says if other agencies show up, he's standing in the doorway to prevent his citizens, whom he serves, from being arrested. Good for him. This is exactly the kind of thing that we need to do. Uh, I unfortunately fear that it may be exactly this kind of thing that ignites violence, which could, uh, well, you know what it could lead to because we keep getting pushed in this direction. And something's got to give. We can't keep going this way. We can't keep going this way. You cannot keep pushing around the American people violating their constitutional rights and not think that there's going to be a pushback. There is going to be a pushback. This is dangerous. These kind of laws are dangerous because people take their constitutional rights seriously. And gun owners particularly are informed. They know the Constitution. They know their rights. They know why the Second Amendment exists and it has nothing to do with deer hunting or target shooting. The Second Amendment exists to protect freedom so that the American people have a way to protect themselves against a tyrannical government. That is the reason it was put there. If the colonists didn't have privately owned firearms, we would still be uh, under British rule. We were only able to defeat the British and gain our independence because uh, the colonists kept and bare arms. So, this is where the left is going, though. And so they're going to keep pushing. They'll never be satisfied. And we need to push back. And where the pushing and the pushing back is going to lead us, I don't know. That is why the Supreme Court is so important. Because if we don't get protection of our constitutional rights coming from the Supreme Court. And frankly, since the Heller decision like 10 years ago, the Supreme Court has sat on its ass and done nothing while the left has encroached on the Second Amendment with, with these ridiculous laws all across the country in, in complete violation of the Heller decision. And the Supreme Court, up until very recently, and they, they've taken up a, court, a, a case recently that we need to watch, 
especially with these two new justices and where they go with this. But until that case was taken up, the Supreme Court has refused to even get involved in these cases. And if they don't, and if they don't expand on Heller and make it clear that the Second Amendment is a fundamental right for each citizen individually to keep and bear arms, and that he or she may bear those arms. That's the part that always gets left out. Keep, keep and bear arms. That, that's a two-part. Keep and bear. And a lot of laws, like in New York, you might be able to own a gun, but you can't take it on your person. You can't bear it anywhere except in your house. It's almost impossible to get a concealed carry permit in the city of New York. So for all intents and purposes, you have no right to bear arms. Your Second Amendment rights are being flagrantly violated. And if the, the Supreme Court does not get involved and clarify the ruling in Heller and expand it, then uh, these Democrats are going to continue to push ever more egregious gun control legislation across the country. And there is going to be pushback. There will be pushback. People aren't just going to let Democrats pass laws and rob them of their fundamental constitutional rights. And where that all leads, I don't know. But it sets up potentially a dangerous situation. So let's hope that the, the Supreme Court, now that we've got Gorsuch on there, now that we've got Kavanaugh on there, and hopefully, though I, I wish the woman no ill, I hope she has a speedy recovery, but can we be honest about Ruth Bader Ginsburg? She's 85 years old. She should retire. It's ridiculous that they serve this long. And we're going to get into to serving for life and all this stuff. That was certainly not was what was envisioned. I don't want to get uh, go down that path right now. But hopefully, Ruth Bader Ginsburg will decide that she wants to retire. We'll get another Supreme Court nominee. And hopefully, we can solidify this Heller decision, expand this Heller decision. Um, otherwise, God only knows where we're headed. But I wanted to... Uh, to talk about this Bob Songer guy because that's heroic to to say that hey I'm not I'm not passing these laws and if anyone tries to enforce these laws against my citizens in my county I'm getting in the doorway you're not getting in to arrest my citizen who is doing nothing but uh, exercising his fundamental constitutional rights so I applaud this guy um, and the article goes on I just wanted to this because this bolsters bolsters my point. Feeling the wind at their backs after the ballot initiative, gun campaigners and liberal legislators have now gone even further in the new legislative session. Of course they have. They're never satisfied, like I said. Bills introduced in the last week to Washington's Democrat-dominated legislature look to further restrict firearms. Some laws would ban high-capacity magazines and plastic guns made with 3D printers. Others would mandate training for concealed carry permits and remove guns and ammo during and after domestic violence incidents. Now, none of us want firearms in the hands of violent people or in the hands of people that we have reasonable reason to believe may commit violence with them in the near future um, or something like that with domestic violence situations. Here's the problem, though. 
I was a prosecutor. I was a defense attorney. I can tell you as a matter of fact that there is no area of the criminal law virtually where there are more lies told in court. There are more phony allegations and false charges and false alarms, false calls to 911 and all this stuff. There is no area of criminal law that that happens more often than in domestic violence cases. There are so much lies told in domestic violence cases, uh, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. Angry spouses, angry living boyfriends and girlfriends, they get into a fight. They're hysterical. One of them calls 911 and makes a phony charge or grossly exaggerates. And suddenly the, per the other person is taken off to jail, thrown in jail, got to go through this whole thing. Nine times out of ten, the person who called 911 later recants and says, oh no, uh, I don't want to press charges or, oh no, that didn't really happen that way. I was just mad. Not only does the person have to go and get arrested on this bullshit, now the sheriff or the local law enforcement is coming to their house, going through their stuff. They get a search warrant for some judge under a domestic violence, gun-grabbing search warrant, going through all their stuff, looking for their guns and ammunition, and try to get your, your firearms back after that. Even if the person who made the false charges against you later recants, later, you know, uh, I don't want to prosecute or changes their story entirely. Try getting your firearms back. God only knows what that's going to entail. How much you're going to have to spend on a lawyer just to get your firearms back. It's, it's, um, it's a real problem. But so you got the domestic violence stuff. And, you know, that's, that's I admit, that's a, a trickier situation. But these blanket laws where anytime that law enforcement is called out on a domestic violence thing, that all firearms have to be taken. That's ridiculous. And then they, of course, they, they want to target high-capacity magazines. And when they say high-capacity magazines, they want you to think like, you know, the movies, a machine gun with this long trail of, of, of bullets just, you know, 10 feet behind the person, and they're just rapid-firing. <laughs> That's not what they mean by high-capacity magazines. Most of the time, what they're talking about is 10 rounds. They want to make it illegal for any magazine to, 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 to sell or possess any magazine that can hold more than 10 rounds. 10 rounds is not a lot, my friends. If you're in the backyard doing tar target practice, you go through 10 rounds in no time. Even with you know a bolt-action rifle or something, 10 rounds is not a lot. And 10 rounds is not a, a lot in a given self-defense situation. You don't know what kind of situation you're going to be faced with. And 10 rounds, it's not like you're, you're, you're panicked, it may be dark, you're scared to death. How good is your aim going to be under those situations? For a lot of people, not very damn good. And 10 rounds is not a whole lot. And the time it takes for you to change out your magazine might be the time it takes for you to be killed. And what if you don't have another magazine? You've just got whatever you got. And thanks to Democrats, you would only have 10 rounds. But they don't care. They don't, they don't want you using a firearm in self-defense. They don't want you possessing a firearm, period. And if they get ultimately what they want, they will eventually 
outright ban all firearms. Oh, and I can hear some people, but Mark, but Mark, they can't do that. That's unconstitutional. The Second Amendment, they'll never be able to do that. No, my friend, uh, if that's what your position is, you don't understand what I've been trying to tell you for a long time. They very well could get there. They very well could get there. The Supreme Court, if they win enough presidential elections and they get enough leftists on the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court will just get rid of the Second Amendment. Oh, the Second Amendment will still be there in the Constitution. And it will still say what it currently says. But it will no longer have the meaning that the Supreme Court currently gives those words. They will give those words new meaning. And the meaning they will give those words is that the Constitution, the Second Amendment, doesn't give you, the American citizen, the right to keep and bear arms. It only gives that right to members of a state-sanctioned militia. That's it. And if you're not currently serving in a state-regulated militia, then you have no right to keep and bear arms. So, sorry. Uh, any any infringement on, on your right at that point will be rubber-stamped by the Supreme Court once they... Once they make that ruling, which they will, they will mark my words. If they, if they have enough votes on the Supreme court, that ruling will come guaranteed. Alrighty. What else I got? Okay. I've got two other issues that I want to touch on today. I want to talk about Pope Francis and, uh, what he had to say about what's going on in Venezuela. And uh, I've got some choice words for the Pope on that. Then I also want to talk a little bit about, uh, there was this CNN town hall event with Kamala Harris. You know, they, they never hold these types of town hall events with Republicans. And when they do, they uh, almost never have just the Republican. They will always have a Democrat there. And they will always have a stacked audience so that anytime the Republican says anything, they're booed. But this uh, Kamala Harris goes on CNN with Jake Tapper. And it was basically just um, a campaign propaganda event. This was CNN boosting the uh, presidential campaign of Kamala Harris. Anyways, Kamala goes on there in, in her typical moronic fashion, had some stupid things to say. And I would like to respond to some of the stupid things she had to say. So we're going to do that. Um, but we're going to do those two items over at Patreon. So this will end the free part of the podcast. If you would like to hear uh, sec the second part of the podcast, please go over to DeclaringLiberty.com or uh, Patreon.com slash Mark Pantano and sign up to uh, hear the rest of the podcast and also other things that I have over there that are available to subscribers only. We're going to have videos, articles, educational materials on the Constitution, all kinds of good stuff. Uh, but if you want that stuff, you need to go over to Patreon and subscribe. So that'll do it for me today. Thank you very much for listening and uh, hopefully I'll talk at you over on Patreon. But until then, remember, Continue to fight the left like your freedom depends on it. Because it does.